Welcome to season seven of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise on facilitating leadership learning. Are you passionate about leadership education? Do you want to expand your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design? Then this is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Leadership Educator Podcast. I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And I'm Dan Jenkins, Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And we are very excited about this episode of the podcast. So in our seventh season, we're shifting our focus to advancing the leadership education community of practice a bit by exploring exemplary mentor-mentee relationships in the field and learning from scholars who write and speak and develop mentoring programs in higher education. Uh, we're asking the question, you know, how do mentors help leadership educators who program and conduct research and teach? So some of our episodes have focused on the research behind mentoring, while others were firsthand accounts of a mentoring relationship, including some of our own. So Lauren, what else can you tell us about this season? Why, thank you, Dan. Uh, you know, it's funny, this season has been such uh, like a great learning experience. I feel like that about all of the seasons, but this one has just been really special and different. Um, I knew mentoring was important, but I feel like the conversations we had with scholars, with others kind of peeking into their mentoring relationship, and even some of our reflection on our mentoring relationships has been incredibly helpful in understanding kind of the nuances of those developmental relationships that occur in professional spaces. And so just, I feel like there's so many takeaways that we have, um, and I feel like that's going to carry into today's episode. So we have Dr. Matthew Salchik, an associate professor in the Department of Agricultural Education and Communication at the University of Florida. In addition to teaching and research, Matthew also serves as the coordinator for the department's undergraduate communication and leadership development specialization. Uh, Matt's research focuses on humility and great leadership. Um, he works with others to show how being humble can positively influence and empower both leaders and followers. So Matt, welcome to the show today. Uh, it's so nice to be here. Thank you both. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to have you here because you're I think, I mean, you are definitely one of the first people I ever met in uh, ILA spaces, right? So when I, I was searching, true. yeah, uh, when I was on the job hunt way back when you had met, so one of, uh, definitely one of my, although it was, uh, I guess, kind of short-lived just because she retired so so soon after I, I started at USM, but Betty Robinson, who was one of the original uh, founders of my program at uh, University of Southern Maine. So um, she knew you because you had interviewed you had come to our campus uh, for your dissertation research, right? Um, That's right. Yeah. And met her and uh, Joyce Gimson, Marv Drucker, the whole Terra Coast, the whole crew. And then you learned that I was on the job hunt. Uh, you put in a nice word for me with Betty, which I appreciated because she was, I think she may have been chairing that search committee. And then, cause we had just interacted just a little bit at, I want to say the, was it the Boston, it would have been the Boston conference, right? 2010. That's ILA, exactly does that sound right? Yeah. yeah. No, that's exactly right. And then, we got connected again, doing some research. So you you were you must have been chair elect of the now they're called member communities. They used to be called the uh, member interest groups, right? The MIGs. Yep. And so you, uh, I'm trying to think what corralled, motivated, influence. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, volunteer somehow um, tricked me 
into uh, getting involved with <laughs> with the MIG. But we also, I was working on a project with you and a couple other volunteers with the MIG where we were interviewing folks at different universities to learn a little bit more about how they were using the uh, guiding questions. And that was one of the first collaborative, qualitative projects I think I ever was involved in. And we learned quite a bit about how folks were using the guiding questions. And we actually have returned to some of that research even recently when with that Principles for Leadership Programs project, uh, that global project that ILA was a part of, but kind of in the middle there. So got a chance to work with you there, but we also find ourselves working together on the original National Leadership Education Research Agenda with Tony Andonoro and Paige uh, Haberkuren and who else was on that? Laura Osteen, yep. Scott Allen, John Dugan. Nice, just a great crew of yeah. crew of folks. Yeah, y'all then have you... like a collaboration resume. I feel like some of us have CVs and then y'all two sound like y'all could have like a collaboration <laughs> well, that independently... Got... I you think know. we just, I don't know how, I mean, maybe we were just standing in the right place at the right time. We bought the right person a beer. I, I'm not exactly sure how we, I mean, I was so new to the field. You were, I mean, you had been in academia a, a little bit longer than I have because you, when was your first year at Wilkes? No, that's right. I think uh, I was maybe 26, 2006. Yeah. Okay. And then, yeah, it had been kind of working from there. So it was a little bit earlier uh, and then probably Boston was my first conference. So okay. it was, but I had known some people because of that dissertation. And I think the piece that you bring up that's just yeah. so true is pretty much everything you are today is is owed to me. And I'm just happy I could talk about <laughs> humility today uh, as a topic. You know, that's that's great. That's great. Humility all the way. It favorite, is. Favorite guest comments. <laughs> probably, probably. I, you know, I, I don't mind the, uh, yeah, I don't mind being made fun of here, here and there. And, uh, you know, and, and also um, had a, I think what, what brought us uh, close for sure, Matt, was having the opportunity to, pre to present with you multiple times early on in my career. We did a, quite a few pre-conference uh, sessions together with, uh, also with Tony and Noro, a couple of times with Eric Bushland. And it was just, it was fun to just be around you, facilitate with you. I think we had a we we, we had a lot of fun co-facilitating and and certainly reflecting. I'll, I'll call it uh, I'll keep it I'll keep it PG. Reflecting on any of those sessions that we did uh, over a couple adult beverages, uh, you know, following any of those sessions, and just always it's been great to know you over these over the, the course of my career. So my guess is that most of the folks who are listening to this have have just that experience, which is the best part of what we do is the people we get to do it with. And that, that was always my favorite thing is going to those conferences. If we were going to do a full day uh, a session and uh, kind of labor intensive, it was just great to do it with people who you really liked, you can engage with, you can laugh with, you, you, you didn't care about going out afterwards because it was, you know, you just really wanted to be around those people. And, and certainly, Dan, you are one of those for me. So yeah, very appreciative. Thanks. I think my only regret is not taking your advice that we did the pre-con outdoors uh, with a Margaritaville theme. I can't remember what year that was, uh, but you were you were lobbying for that really hard. Maybe someday we, we we bring that back, depending on where ILA or another association takes us. So, all right. So we, we shared a bit about you, but I'm curious, uh, what are maybe three things people should know about you before we uh, jump into talking quite a bit more about humility and your book project and uh, and some other things that I think will really engage our, our leadership educator audience here. Yeah, I appreciate that. I think um, when we talk about mentoring, when we talk about leadership education, 
I'm one of those rare uh, folks who's gotten a chance to work at a school. Uh, I think school, Wilkes University, where I started, was about 2,000, 3,000 students. Really small school, so I got to create the program there, create the leadership minor, get to understand uh, how to work with students uh, in classes the size of you know, 10, 15, 20. Now working at the University of Florida, I get the complete opposite of that, which is a school of 65,000 students. And uh, a lot of what was put into place was done prior to me getting there by really great people, Nicole Stedman, uh, Rick Rudd, others in our field who, who I just really look up to and appreciate, but, um, and, and get to teach classes that are now 100, 200 students in some of the intro classes. So have seen that kind of go back and forth. I know you know, um, Having the opportunity to work with master students and PhD students, there's a real mentoring component to that, which is so important. And, and a lot of what I've learned about mentoring has come from that experience. So that's certainly one thing. I think the second thing is, uh, I, of all my roles, being a father is probably the most important. So I have two uh, two boys. They are now 11 and 13. Uh, when I met you, Dan, I did not have any boys. So this time just goes so so quickly. It's amazing, but. When we talk about mentoring, once again, it, it really, that's another role you see that happen. And uh, I think um, a lot of, we'll talk a little bit about the book and the H factor, but I, I think your comment is absolutely uh, well taken that we need to do a Mar Margaritaville uh, leadership. Uh, I, I think the next, the next book I'll write is Leadership is a Beach, and then I'll uh, get to go visit beach bars and just do some qualitative uh, interviews and, and, and kind of tour, tour a number of beach bars across the state of Florida. I think I think that's a, a solid plan, and I think uh, the, you'll have no problem getting through the IRB with an exemption. So, um, <laughs> as the yeah. as someone who actually grew up down the street from a beach, uh, I happily will co-sponsor that project. Ooh, with you got your you got your co-PI and everything, Matt. Uh, this yeah. is a very perfect. productive uh, podcast episode. So <laughs> that's right. This sounds so, like a collaboration right here. It does. So, so you so you dropped the the name of your your book, the H Factor, and we're excited to to chat with you about that um, too. It's all about humility, which you also dropped uh, a little bit as well. So, so where did where did the idea come from? Why why humility of all topics as a someone who uh, who teaches and studies leadership? Yeah, I, that's a great question. And you gave a great example of how we kind of get started. We get started and we latch on to to folks who we really like working with, and that starts our career and. Uh, certainly in leadership education, finding really good people and then collaborating. So when you talked about the guiding questions, that was something I was really passionate about and understanding questions and how they would impact our understanding of leadership education. I think where it came from was I, I really enjoyed the book Good to Great. And that was a book that I found in doing some consulting outside of leadership education that most managers had on their bookshelf. There wasn't a time I would show up and somebody would be talking about the issues they were having in their organization. And right behind them was Good to Great. And I always found that like a, 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 touch, bump, a touch point where I could have this conversation, you know, oh, what'd you think of the book? Did you like what, what Colin said in the book? And it was amazing how many people never read the book. Now, the book has sold 4 million copies, has been translated into 32 uh, different languages, but right in there is this, this idea that if you want to be a, 
not a good leader, but a great leader, determination and humility were really important. And it kind of surprised me as I started to do research into this, how few leadership education programs talked about humility, you know, uh, emotional intelligence, certainly uh, from Goldman and Mayor and Salve, like that just exploded and that started being put, uh, this idea of contentious conversations or conflict resolution exploded in leadership education, but humility really never took off. And it was surprising to me how few resources were out there. So and the more I looked into it, the more I found some really great research around how important it is to start with kind of a base or a keystone of humility as we're building out leaders on all levels, whether it be uh, in higher education or uh, emerging leaders in organizations. That's an interesting bridge from kind of reading the good to great book. And, and it's sad because I have the book and I haven't read it either. Um, mm -hmm. And I understand the general concept of it, but it's one of, well, it's one of those, I'll get to it. I know it's valuable, um, but now that you've given us a summation, I'm just going to jump to the H factor. Uh, but but it's, it's interesting <laughs> that you talk about being humble and how that's something that you have to start out with as a leader. So like this season, you know, we've been talking about mentoring a lot. Um, we've heard repeatedly that in the mentor-mentee relationship, um, there's this move at some point to this um, balance where the mentor and mentee almost become peers. And I imagine at some point it's because the mentor has been humble or vulnerable or shown some of that humility. Um, how do you think that, well, one, what do you think about that? But then two, I, I transpose it with, you have to be competent you know, you have to show confidence. And so how do you like, what does that look like all together? You know what I mean? Like, how does all of this kind of play around with it? How does it all show up in a leader? Yeah, yeah, I, I really love, but, and those are kind of two different questions. I think the first question is this idea of, is there humility in mentoring? Does that play an important role? And if you think about, and, and I won't take credit for this, Edgar Sheen, who's written about culture and just written about a bunch of stuff, wrote a great book on helping. Uh, and then he wrote some books on humility and his book on helping is probably the one that's least read, but maybe the best book that he has written. And he talks a lot, the, a lot about the power difference in helping. Once you're the helper, the person who needs help, there's that distinct difference in power. And anytime, like in leadership, like in mentorship, where power becomes an issue, you have to bring humility into it. That's the one counterbalancing trait that will put people at that level. And it's not at a level where, you know, the, the, the person being helped doesn't respect the experience and the information and the wisdom. But as soon as you put out that you need help, there is that power differential. And that when that happens, it, it really is important that the person mentoring, helping or leading in this case really has some humility to build that bond. And, and what they suggest in, in the research is that it really drives forward psychological safety. And I know you both know that Psychological safety is so important in teams. It's so important in just personal, professional relationships. So humility is kind of the catalyst that gets to that psychological safety. Then you ask the question I think is really important and something I talk a lot about in the book is we often put, you know, narcissism, uh, overconfidence out there as an extreme of confidence. And, and I think what we've done uh, or been misled to believe is that the opposite of overconfidence or narcissism is humility. And the truth is, if you're a leader, you don't want to be at one extreme, which is overconfident, but you certainly don't want to be at the other extreme. And I think that other extreme 
tends to be lacking any confidence or, you know, um, having one of those those moments where you just don't feel like you belong or, or connect. So what I talk about in the book is that humility really is that mid sweet spot where you have the right amount of confidence. And I think that's right with mentees or mentors. And it almost happens with every trait that you find humility is a counterbalancing trait that influences things like creativity. So you have someone who's really eccentric on one side, someone who has no creativity out the other. The truth is we all have on that spectrum, some level of creativity. It's our humility gives us that proper perspective to know that we can bring those out. So if we teach humility, if we have that opportunity to drive humility, both in our mentor or mentees, I think you start to see psychological safety and people going away from those extremes and coming towards that sweet spot. You know, it's so interesting you bring up that thought around psychological safety, because we were going to ask you about that. Um, Can you expand a little bit more on like, how did that connection come together for you? Or how does it come together, the psychological safety and the humility piece come together for you? Yeah, so when kind of exploring, in general, there's this idea that uh, most of the world's major religions celebrate humility. So that's a commonality that most every religion has. And that really uh, coming and having a a spiritual background certainly was something of interest to me. So that got me down this road. Reading Collins got me down this road. But then I started to find that there was just a tremendous amount of pro-social qualities that were connected, generosity, uh, diversity, uh, creativity, emotional intelligence, all of these studies that have been done that connect right to humility as being kind of an antecedent to get to great levels of that. And as I started to do that, you start to see vulnerability and humility being connected, that they are actually really importantly related uh, to be vulnerable, vulnerable first, then to get humble, to be humble so you can be vulnerable. They, they will go back and forth in that process. And vulnerability is a huge part of the psychological safety uh, research. So they just started to make that connection. And then I think as you start to explore how really good relationships, if you just at, at face validity, at, at, at just what it is, you start to understand that those people we really like are humble. They're not arrogant. They, they admit their mistakes. They're able to, to have some conversations with others while listening and engaging. Probably the best example I can think of of a professor who had demonstrated humility that I, I talk about in the book is there's a professor in London who published, he, he's just an amazing biologist, just world famous biologist. And he um, published a CV of failures for his students because they were so overwhelmed and so kind of taken back. How do how can I ever be you? They were afraid to make mistakes. And he talked about every conference he didn't get accepted to, every job he got denied from, every editor's comment that said, you know, every, what is it, reviewer B uh, comments was all placed out on this. And, and as I was talking to him, interviewing him for the book, he said, it's funny, I've become more famous for my, CV of failures than I have for my research on viral vectors or or, or whatever he was talking about that. And he says, so I've, I'm kind of taking a spe- step back from this humility place. And I'd like to be known for viral vectors, but that's a great example of how we need to be humble and tell students and tell our mentees that, man, we failed and we're not perfect and, and engage with that. That's a really good point. I do that with my students during the semester. So I'm writing my dissertation and I'll be like, all right, y'all send me good vibes. I got to meet with my chair this week. Like, you know, pray for me because, you know, and he's lovely. He is great. However, it's still some like intimidation in that space 
I'll even share. Sometimes I can respond to you at 10 o'clock at night because I'm also up doing homework too. And so I feel like those are those little things that I feel like I can safely get away with. Um, because it, in faculty life, we are still held to these really high standards sometimes. Um, but I feel like I can safely get away with that without it being, you know, too much. But it's also something very relatable because if, if, if they know I'm up doing homework, then maybe there's something about their experience that, that comforts them or provides them some grace. It, it absolutely helps them with their imposter syndrome. When they know that you're ultimately engaged in the same kind of behaviors, you're working really hard, you're engaging this, you're also nervous knowing how good you are, uh, Lauren, like there would be no reason to work, but we still do. We still worry about those things. We still want to be good and, and, and to put our best foot forward. So I think all of us, when we have a great deal of, of humility, aren't overconfident, but hopefully we don't have that imposter syndrome either. We hit that sweet spot of just being confident enough, but also knowing that we have to get feedback, we got to develop and we got to grow. Yeah. And I think just to kind of pick it back on those examples and, and Lauren kind of sharing that from a perspective of the instructor or the faculty member, but also as a member of her, her department, like we have to model some of that humility for our students. And then I love that you were bringing in uh, Shine's work around humility and humble inquiry and, and this idea of like, you know, staying curious, right? Like not pretending that we, I guess to elaborate on that, just on my understanding of, you know, and just you know, modeling that behaviors around like, hey, you know what, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to find out or, or, I, or the idea of, of sharing all your failures, right? And staying curious around, well, how can I get better? You know, what is it that I maybe need to improve on as I think about, you know, not getting this paper accepted or, or this manuscript uh, as part of this journal or, or what have you. Uh, so I, I guess I'll pose this to you in a way that I, I know you'll appreciate, Matt. So uh, humility for what, right? Humility for what, Matt? Um, how does... How does humility, do you think, help us right now as leadership educators? Yeah, you know, I, I think there is the real business answer, which is Appalachian State just did a uh, some research around narcissism, and they looked at narcissism across schools, and they found that business students were 16% more likely to be narcissistic than any other program. And these are where our programs are in leadership. I mean, they're across schools, but a lot of leadership is taught in business schools. And I can't even imagine when we have specialized programs, you know, when we bring the best of the best students in and we're we're building them up, man, do we need a base of humility. So I think that's, that's for what. I certainly think the for what is, you know, the 2050 answer, which is in, you know, 20, 25 years, we're going to have less resources. We're going to have more people, 9.6 billion people on this planet. To figure out some of these issues, we really collectively have to get together and stop being divided and, and talk about how we come together. And the only way we're going to be able to come together is through humility. We're, we're all really smart. How do we take all of that and, and work together instead of believing that I have the single right answer? Um, and then I think, you know, to some degree, the for what is because mentors truly, truly need to, to, to be humble, to come from a humble standpoint. I think the, the, the book really lends itself well to a mentor-mentee relationship. It has a lot of questions, reflections, engagements in it. But the one thing I really try to do is there's uh, some chapters about what leaders need from their followers or what people need from others. And, and that certainly is this idea of feedback and it, it, what I call bus buddies. So someone will can, can not only get you on the bus, like Collins talks about, you know, get the right people on the bus, but then we'll sit on, on the bus with you and help you make sure you're doing the right things in that process. So there's certainly feedback there, there, there's all those pieces, but then what do others need from us? And you talked about it, Dan, it's, it's listening. 
And that's certainly something uh, shines out. It's questioning. How do we ask the right questions to understand what people and how we hear from voices, not just those popular voices, but all voices. And then finally, gratitude. And, and all of those lend themselves really, really well to humility. So I think there's a lot of reasons uh, why it's just, you know, getting it in and, and making people really believe that this idea of being humble can work in uh, in America, in a Western perspective, which drives most of the leadership thought has been a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And it is, and it is challenging and it's challenging to, you know, to, to bring in any new kind of perspective or, or approach that's complementary to this idea of what, what, what are we teaching students when we're teaching them about leadership, about followership and all the concepts that are, you know, related to that. So one of the things I've always admired about you, Matt, is you're very creative pedagogically and you know that I geek out like crazy on pedagogy. Take me into your classroom there at University of Florida and you are so excited because it's week seven and you're going to blow your students' mind with a module on humility. How do you teach your students about humility? How do you introduce them to this, this topic and make it stick? Yeah, I mean, that, that's great. I think um, there's so many components to this idea of humility. There's certainly the humility when you uh, uh, do something terrible and you find yourself in a place where you have to have humility and admit you're wrong. And that's that idea of shame. And um, I think what, what happens with shame it, it is different than what happens with awe, which is the other side of this humility piece. So shame or awe can bring you to humility. Shame makes you feel smaller about yourself, but it's much more internalized. So you kind of beat yourself up. That's not necessarily the humility that I, I try to teach. The other is this idea of awe. And awe makes you feel small, but it's external. It's like looking out at the beach. Or what I'll do is I'll take them up to, you know, to the bell tower and have them look out. Or we go for a five-minute walk in the woods. And we talk about those engagements or watch. There's a great video. I'll have to share it with you. It's one of those like uh, world life videos where you're, you're, you're seeing the space and then you go down to the seat and you're like, I, I can't even believe with all the stuff's out there that I can't see myself as small and then connected to some bigger purpose. And that's usually my lesson is how do we get to a place of awe so that they can experience that humility and then talk about, you know, what does this mean about you? And that goes into the, some of the, the imperfection and incompleteness and impermanence. Then we talk about what does it mean for your relationship with others that you've experienced this with and how we need to listen and engage and we need feedback and we need to kind of this social contagion. We can influence each other when someone says, oh, my gosh, look at that ocean. I can't believe it automatically people connect to that. And then, uh, and, and you know, the kind of the, the big piece of this is what are we doing this for? And that bigger purpose has always been something that's drive me. And I think humility helps us realize that the, you know, we're really important and our relationships are really important, but overall it's the connection we have together to something bigger that is uh, the humility. So that's how I teach it. I, I take people out, try to give them a moment of awe and then, and, and then talk a little bit about what it feels like, what, what you think about and how do we, have that mindset more often. That's incredible. It's that show me, don't tell me. Like, I'm sure you yeah. can walk down facts and upon facts about humility, but if you get them to feel that emotion, that will stick more than any, you know, PowerPoint slide deck that you can share on Canvas or in class or any of that stuff, right? Um, That's right. So so I feel like we we know this, but but why do you think it's so hard to implement and also thinking about how you said it could really change the, it could change our society, could change the world. How do you think more humility would change higher education? 
Yeah. Actually, you know, I, I have a concern. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. So one of my soapbox pieces recently has been this idea of the perfect leader. And I think social media, unfortunately, has been both a blessing and a curse for us in, in leadership education. Uh, when me and Dan started out, there was far less Instagram, far less Facebook, far less. Uh, most of it was scholars talking about this stuff. And you would have a, a couple of folks like a Maxwell or uh, a Peters who would write about these in books. Um, with, with that said, now everyone is an expert in leadership and there's, everyone's posting on Instagram and, you know, I just saw one this morning, I wrote about it in the book and I saw it again this morning. Somebody said, um, if you leave your shopping cart in, in the parking lot, you can't be a leader. And it says, if you're too big to do the small things, you're too small to do the big things. And it had 5 million likes and people commenting like, oh my gosh, I know this is the, the I will tell you that I, for six months, looked to see if there was any research that suggested shopping carts in a parking lot and leadership. And there is absolutely nothing. I found one study that was out of Germany that suggested if you leave a shopping cart in a parking lot, you're more likely to also put trash in that parking lot. But there was nothing on leadership. But this is all the messages we put out there are like, if you got to be perfect. You got to be great. This is how these are the five steps to be great. These are the three things. All you need to do is this. You know, and it, it really gets away from what I think we do really well, which is research. I, I think leadership education needs to be informed by leadership research. And I, that's what I so much, so appreciate about what you both do. And Dan, I've always really appreciated you is the, the drive to put research out on leadership education, pedagogy, those sort of pieces. We just don't amplify them as a community enough to let people know all we have is these thought leaders or anyone who has a thought about leadership, putting stuff out there. And I think it does us a real disservice to say, no, there's actually some research and this is the way, and these are the pieces. So I think it, it, it's hard to get humility out there when everyone is pushing this idea that there is a perfect leader. The truth is I've left my shopping cart when I had my two kids and they were young and it was raining. And so, you know, am I not a leader? And, the, and, and then we start to question all of these things when we see them come across like a leader always drives and never stops working. Well, that's that's not true. I mean, that's just fundamentally not true. There, You have to have self-care. You have to take breaks. So this idea of Instagram, Facebook, pushing this thought leadership out there, I think there has been a lot of good things that have come from it. But boy, do we need a hashtag that says hashtag leadership research. And then we start pushing out. No, in fact, you know, it's not chopping carts. There's no research on this. But if you do want to be a good leader, here's some research by Jenkins in, in a book that suggests this is a good way to do it. And I'm just a big, big proponent. I think we have a society that takes 60 pictures to get one perfect picture. And then you believe perfection is obtainable. And humility has no place there. It just it doesn't have any place there. And we really struggle with that. I think leadership has really struggled with that of recent uh, and has pushed out humility. And then when you think about just some of the, the 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 pieces of the Western individualized, you know, American dream of it's me, 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 I don't need others, I can just rise above. I think the way we evaluate leaders is horrendous. We just got a football coach at the University of Florida. He's played six games and we're already talking about like him being fired and we got to get somebody else. We just do not give people enough time to set cultures. I think the average CEO is in office for about five years. I, like, so we're so quick. So people make short-term decisions for right now instead of humble decisions to help and grow and mentor people. And I think the final thing, and this probably is the most important for you, is once again, there are very, very few leadership education programs that talk about humility as being a really important mindset 
for leadership students as they come out. And until we do that, uh, we're going to run up against this feeling of uh, leaders are always special. They're always important. They're always above. Um, and we're going to run into the risk of not having humility in our leadership. Sorry, I got overly passionate there. What a, what a great soapbox. I feel like you're in the right <laughs> space though, right? Because That's right. No, I, I love that. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, I have a, I have a couple of thoughts. So I think, so when we talk like the internet, I see so many things, not, I hate to say wrong because right and wrong is, is subjective, but I see so many things online. And I'm like, that that's not really true about leadership, but okay. So it's all these kind of like internet warriors who post and I'm just like, okay, but, but are you taking that from one person's story or are you taking that from like a sample size or a larger population or, you know, uh, Julie, I think it was, I think it was Julie Owen talked about this um, book report assignment where it's like, I don't want you to read the book, but I want you to answer these questions about what you can find about the book. And one of the things, and I hope it's Julie, but if not, whoever is, it's that, whoever is that as their assignment, please tell me. Um, but it talked about how in all these books, there were all of these conflicting ideas about leadership. And these were the best books out there and the, the Barnes and Nobles books and the library books and the like publishing books. And, and there were all of these conflicting ideas about research and, and, and what leadership truly is. So I feel like you're right. We don't have this, I don't wanna call it a consensus, but there are definitely some issues around the information that's so readily available to people about leadership. And I feel like one of the bigger things I think about is, uh, and surprisingly from a Florida State person, but but Mike uh, Coach Krzyzewski, he's got a he's got a leadership book. And just because you read it and follow his instructions does not mean you're gonna be a great leader. It really is, what do I know about myself and what are some of the things that I can either experiment with or reflect on or think about and kind of take what I feel like I need from this space? And I feel like we do that in our leadership classes, but there are a bunch of people, and I always tell my students, I'm 25, but those over the age of 35, they may not have had a leadership course where they get to critically think about these concepts and, and really pull them apart and tease them out. Um, the good thing I'll say is I feel like my students get it. Like they are the most, they are good about being confident and humble in the same sentence. And, and I'm just like, so we need y'all to get these jobs and to take leadership roles and to step up because like you said, that humility is so important. Um, I also don't encourage them. Don't be too humble about your assignments. I need you to be confident in your work, but th this general appreciation is there, but it's, it's really, I hate to put on my peers. It's really this like over 35, over 40 crowd. That's kind of holding us back sometimes. So that's my yeah, comment. I know, no, oh, I think that's, that's, that's uh, absolutely true. And, and if you thought about any other field that's take that, taken that next step, uh, where I think leadership needs to take that next step, it's starting to really appreciate the research. You know, if if someone said on 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 Facebook, uh, you know, geez, I, I broke my ankle, and someone posted a meme that said, "An apple a day will keep the doctor away," they they would laugh. They'd be like, no, go to the doctor. There's like actual things that you can do to make this better. That's what we're doing in leadership right now. We're saying we're having a real difficult time with leadership and someone's saying, you know, don't put your shopping cart in the parking lot. And we're like, yes, that's awesome. We love that. Or someone else posts some, you know, one word quote, but human behavior is so complex. You can't get there from one book. And we wouldn't even do that in research. We wouldn't even take one case study or one qualitative data points. I mean, most case studies will be six, seven, eight. And those are really in depth. So you have to you have to read more, engage more. But I do think the research is a place that we uh, really can 
have an impact and help people out. You know, I love that you say that. Like, I think about like this whole conversation around humility. I wasn't raised, like my first team is my family. I wasn't raised in a culture of humility at all. And it's just, I think about the research part of it. My my first thought always goes to who's in your sample? Like, who are you asking and what do they look about, look like and what are their cultures? So in my family, like we were raised to be, I was raised to be strong because the world was not going to look favorably upon me. And I was going to have to work hard for every single thing. So like when mindfulness came out and they're like, you know, say what you want, speak it into existence. I'm like, no, you have to work incredibly hard and you have to accept setbacks and all of these things that really just made it harder than it was. And so I love hearing about these concepts, but then I also think about, well, who are you talking about when you were talking about these concepts and what were their, what were the things that they were raised to believe? And are they ready to break away from those things that they were raised to believe? Like I laugh because my, not laugh, but my, I had to do this assignment in, in my doc program and they're like, who are you as a leader? And I'm like, oh, well, I was student government president and I led these organizations and, and, you know, and, and they're like, no, 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 no. We want to know kind of like who is your family history? And like I, my black great grandmothers were flipping houses in the early 1900s, like 1930s maybe, um, in a major urban city because they wouldn't. There were people who owned real estate who wouldn't sell to other black people, so they they couldn't. So they went and made that lane for themselves, right? And so they, there was no space for humility. It was, I have to push and be strong and show these different characteristics in these spaces just to get what I need for the people that I love or for my community. And so I love that you say like, we need more research because we do, like this is a great introduction, but we need to get into digging through some of the other elements that show up like age or race or ethnicity, gender identity, all of those things so that we can paint this fuller picture. So that if you see it on social media, it's it's almost a jumping off point or it's a more inclusive space or it's more representative of the complexity of some of these, these issues. So I'm, I'm an advocate of maybe less one word statements or fancy decorated posts and more content around the complexity of that. So, yeah. And I mean, there's just humility and understanding that I, I think, you know, what I talk about when I talk about the, the first piece of this proper perspective is you know, we can go Myers-Briggs and people have different Myers-Briggs, they have different true color. But when we come down to who every single human being is, we have to start from this idea that we're imperfect, we're incomplete, and we're impermanent. And those are three things that doesn't matter who you are, all of those things are, are true. And we can start from a leadership base there and say, okay, if we're imperfect, what does that mean about our leadership? If we're incomplete, what does that mean about our growth and leadership? If we're impermanent, what does that mean about, you know, our growth, leadership and succession in that process? But it's, it's funny because I think leadership misses, like we'll read one book, it'll become the book and then we'll think we know leadership. And it's like me saying, boy, I, I, I read White Fragility. I got it. I got everything you went through, every, everything in your life that you, I got you now. Like I understand that. It's like ridiculous. The, the, the lack of humility that it takes to be at a place where you're like, I've read this one book. So I understand your lived experiences or I understand all of leadership or just to, to these seven tenets. Covey is amazing, but there's more than seven habits. Like there just is in that process. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I I agree. you could go on, you could go on. Right. And so, well, so 
But anything that we didn't ask you that you want to make sure to, to share with our listeners? Yeah, I really love that your series is about mentorship. I think that's such an important topic today. I think that's going to get us back to where we need to, not only in leadership education, but in society. I think the more we can reach out, be mentors, really embrace in this helping process, I think is just so important. And I certainly think humility plays a really important role in being able to bridge uh, whether it is mentorship or leadership or just friendship to some degree. How, how do we get back to a place in leadership education, in leadership, and just in society where we're able to have conversations, have civil discourse, and, and really come from a place uh, of humility to hear and use the best of what we have because uh, things are going to get more complex and we're going to need more adaptive leadership as we kind of move forward with that. Yeah. 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 Agree. Agree. Echo that. And yeah, it's, it, it comes back to dialogue and trust and communicating with each other and doing it with, with humility and, and curiosity. So yeah, Matt, thank you. It's so good to see you. Thank you again for reaching out to us. It's so great to have you on the show and give you an opportunity to share a little bit about yourself and, and about your book. So folks can find the H factor wherever books are sold. And it's just great to, to learn a little bit more about the book and all the research and, and inquiry that you've done on the subject of of humility. Super grateful for you and, and your work and I wish you the best of luck as you finish out your semester there uh, down in Gainesville. Uh, you two are doing such good work here. I, I listen to all, all all of them. I know there's some really good ones coming up. I'm looking forward to it. And thank you for having me on. It's I really, really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Yeah, you're welcome. Do you connect with leadership educators virtually? Please follow us on social media. Search the Leadership Educator Podcast on LinkedIn to find our page. And find us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod for episode release information, show notes, and upcoming events. You can connect with me on Twitter at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. You can find the episodes wherever podcasts are available. We also encourage you to please subscribe at theleadershipeducator.com and rate us five stars as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And our wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matt White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies at the University of South Carolina. Check him out at mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our audience. And finally, we are grateful for the support of two professional associations that are destinations for leadership educators, the Association of Leadership Educators and the International Leadership Association. ALE, which funded the start of the podcast, continues to promote our mission of continuing conversations with leadership professionals. Check out all that ALE has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. The global reach of the ILA has helped us to expand our listenership beyond our original borders. Check out the ILA's programs and resources at ilaglobalnetwork.org.